everybody. This episode of Our Kids Play Hockey is brought to you by our title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena. Look, we all want our kids to succeed in hockey, but let's face it, finding training that's both effective and enjoyable can be a real challenge, and not to mention expensive and a total drain on time, especially if you have to drive to the rink, uh, pay a, a private instructor. There's so many reasons that uh, money gets spent on this game. But that's where NHL Sensorina steps in. It's a virtual reality training game that brings the rink into your home that takes off-ice training to a new reality. It's designed to improve hockey sense and IQ, something that's lacking majorly in the game today for both players and goalies. And you get unlimited access to over 100 drills and training plans from top coaches and players that can be played anytime, anywhere with drills approved by USA Hockey player and goalie development directors. Look, improving mental hockey skills at home has really never been more fun, and any hockey player that uses this is going to have a blast, all right? I've used this before on my own, and it feels like you're so immersed in an arena you sometimes forget you have a headset on. And again, it's not being on the ice, but it allows you to work on some of these skill sets like scanning, as I said before, hockey IQ, looking around the rink, making the right plays, that getting those repetitions in now as a hockey player are super important for your development. So NHL Sensorina is giving all the listeners an exclusive offer for $50 off an annual plan when you use our code Hockey never stops at checkout. Again, that's hockey never stops. All you got to do is go to hockey.sensorina.com. Uh, Again, that's hockey.sensorina.com. Use the code hockey never stops and you'll save $50 on your an annual plan of NHL Sensorina. Make sure to check that out and enjoy this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey. Hello, hockey friends and families around the world, and welcome to another edition of Our Kids Play Hockey, powered by NHL Sense Arena. You've got your top line back again this week. I'm Lee Elias with Mike Benelli and Christy Casciano-Burns, and today we are joined by someone who has escorted countless hockey fans through many incredible hockey memories and moments. He has been a centerpiece of ESPN hockey coverage in journalism and broadcasting for just about 30 years and has been a beacon for everything great about hockey for as long as I can remember Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome John Butchagross to the show. John, it is an honor, sir, to have you here today. Welcome to Our Kids Play Hockey. Thank you. You're too kind. It's great to be here. I love talking about hockey, love talking about kids and and youth hockey. And so it's always been a passion of mine since I was a little kid, since I was like 12 years old. I couldn't wait to be a dad. I was a little, little different as a little kid. I just uh, couldn't wait that process of a family and and coaching and honing and, and guiding has always been, like I said, it's kind of, uh, I was born with it. So it was, uh, I'm sad it's all over for me. I started young and I'm all done now, but um, I still enjoyed it. And still hopefully I can contribute here in the future. Well, I, I would say that you've contributed quite a bit. I love to hear you say that you love to talk about hockey because we see you talking about hockey every single day of the week. And I'll tell you kind of a return story, really weird. I actually went to a Halloween party in elementary school as a dad once i thought that was the coolest thing so <laughs> i kind of i kind of share that, that i think that's a little weird looking back but a uh, very proud father today so john again we all know you as a broadcaster all right um, but as you alluded to i want to introduce everyone to you as the hockey dad right you coached and parented kids through hockey tell us about that experience and what it meant for you and the kids yeah, you know, again, I was a dad at 26 and 28 and 33, so I started a little young, especially with this current generation. Um, at my generation, it was probably about average, um, because, like I said, couldn't wait to start a family and, and then get married. And so, uh, 
Yeah, I was introduced to, you know, obviously I was introduced to hockey by my dad who grew up in the Boston area. And so I always knew a lot about the sport and followed the sport and collected hockey cards and, and watched the games and listened to the games and consumed the game like I did football, basketball, and baseball. Most American kids just stop at those three. But hockey, because of my dad, was just part of my uh, vernacular. It wasn't a, a weird sport or a niche sport or a, a freak show uh, like it was back then because of the fighting and things like that and the bench-clearing brawls. It kind of had a circus atmosphere to it. Um, almost kind of like punk rock, small audience, but really, really passionate. So, yeah, it just it was always there. And so when I got DSPN, it served me well to have that niche. The line wasn't very long behind the hockey uh, department. So I say, yeah, I'll go get in that line. There's only a couple people over here, there, you know, the football line, the baseball line, and the basketball line is really long. So I'll go in that short hockey line and it's worked. It served me well. And then, yeah, and to have my kids, you know, raising them in Connecticut and to have the access to rinks and to hockey and to get them involved at a young age, first Brett uh, and then Jack. Uh, yeah. It, it was just a natural, they played everything and hockey was just one of them as well. Um, but, you know, Brett played through, Spent a couple years of prep school through high school, and Jack played from age six travel right through high school as well, public high school in, in South Windsor, Connecticut. So it was a big part of my life. Like I said, Brett started probably about 1998, and Jack graduated in 2017. So it was a pretty big, about a 20-year run of being pretty involved. Yeah, involved and um, very passionate about it. You also gave lots of great advice along the way too. And I love what you said, you need to have an abundance of four things if you are a parent of a hockey player. Energy, creativity, selflessness, affection. That mm. says it all to me. I, I read that, I took that to heart and always kept that with me whenever I stepped into the rink. So important. Maybe you can share, especially with some of our younger parents who are listening now, why those are such important virtues to have as a hockey parent. Yeah, you know, I had a very affectionate dad and, and mom, and I had a, a very uh, positive, my parents were very positive, especially my dad. My mom probably had to play the bad guy more than she'd like because she probably thought my dad was too soft. Um, but I never heard a negative word from my dad. Um, like I said, a lot of affection. He was my best friend growing up. I always said if my dad was a drug dealer, I would have grown up being a drug dealer probably. But thankfully, <laughs> he wasn't. He was a great dude and he loved sports and he loved people and he loved his family. And he was just, just a, a moral and ethical beacon. My parents are just almost like angels. They're almost just extraterrestrials. You, you just don't meet people like this. And my dad passed away 13 months ago. My mom is 92, still alive, just so positive, wow. cheery and chipper. She's never down. She never whines. She never complains like a hockey coach would love her, you know, <laughs> literally never complains. And so, yeah, so I, so I had that as a model and and then it's just my nature is to coach up to make people comfortable to make people feel good and yeah i just think it's so important to get down to their level as well like a big thing for me was to get down when you talk to a, a, a young child and a young hockey players to get down on one knee and look them in the eye at their level right. just imagine you look down on them i mean you're literally at that age you're twice their size sometimes maybe three times but really about twice that that's like us looking up at a 14 you know, like a 12 or 13 or 14 foot person looking down at us, whether they're yelling, which really is counterproductive, or even just being, you know, intimidating. So you have to always remember that, you know, that ratio that you're twice as tall as they are, that you, it's like us look at a, I look up at Scott Van Pelt, who's six foot, I'm six four, I'm a pretty tall dude. I, I don't come across many people taller than me. 
So when I do, like Scott, even a six foot six guy who's only that much taller than me, he looks, I was like, man, what a monster, you know? So just imagine as a kid looking up at someone twice your size. So yeah, th that's, that's the big thing is getting on their level, looking them in the eye, making a connection, and then everything else kind of goes from there. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, knowing your history and your background and kind of some of the people you've been around, I mean, being a youth hockey dad and then being broadcast around pro hockey players, and then, you you know, your relationship with guys like, you know, the, what I consider like some of the real core forefathers of building like the USA hockey long-term development model and guys like Kenny Roush, who you really, yep. you, know, uh, you know, obviously have been around and understand. I mean, what are some of the things that you would tell the parents about that journey, you know, you know, your own kids seeing, you know, you're around all these college athletes all the time now, and obviously the pro guys, but just about, you know, the different little intangibles uh, that you've seen that, that separate a hockey kid uh, from some of these other athletes you're around all the time. Well, the big word and, and going back to parenting and one of those core four I talked about was sacrifice and selflessness. And right. that's what's, that's why so many hockey kids grew up to be, so humble and have such great manners and respect is because they see that sacrifice unspoken throughout their lives. They see their parents get up at 6 a.m. and take them to practice in a cold rink and tie their skates and drag them around. And, and they might not quite get the cost for a while, but then they sometimes they probably feel it as parents worry about bills and worry about debt and things like that. They might hear a parent verbalize and complain a little bit. And that's that's natural. And so they might realize, well, this does cost more than a kid who plays basketball, who just basically pays 50 bucks to the rec department. My parents are writing out car payments, you know, three times a year for me to play hockey. So I just think they see that um, unspoken sacrifice and it's just kind of osmosis. It just kind of gets into their being and they and they know. Now, again, sometimes a kid doesn't notice that or maybe he's not coached up up enough and he might be a little spoiled but you very rarely come across a spoiled hockey player and so it's just that sacrifice that you know that selflessness and then of course that carries on the ice with block shots and and being a good teammate and that's why I always love my about my son Jack I can still see him as a mite in a squirt when somebody else scored a goal he was more excited than yeah. when he scored a goal and that makes me emotional just verbalizing it like I just oh I was so proud when he would do that and so that was just so big for me and uh and so just yeah just that selflessness and that team and that bonding is the big thing and talking to Kenny and just again the education that we all go through in life whatever topic it is how we can get better how we can look at things differently how we cannot maybe think like a politician or you know who's always right who wants to kind of maybe go into groups and then you have other people who always have to be right and other people of course maybe who think differently i want to learn i can i want to try to stay down the middle because i want to learn and maybe get better and like obviously someone like kenny in usa hockey early on one of their early mantras that was really difficult to get through to parents was that you're better off practicing than playing that we should have more practices than games but a young parent, especially growing up in the 60s and 70s and 80s, when winning was everything and that pressure, whether it was the Olympics or whether it was professional sports, they want their kids to play. They want a scoreboard. They want a winner. They want a loser. Um, and once they realize that, man, we're better off practicing for it. And then once they throw them the data, when the kid plays a youth hockey game, he touches the puck for about 15 seconds over a one-hour hockey game, where if you could practice, maybe he can touch it for 20 minutes. Right. And that's obviously how is he going to get better. It's like a piano kid just touching keys, six keys for over one hour, as opposed to actually playing for 20 minutes. Of course, the, the one piano player is going to be better than the other piano player. So that was a big thing with you know, then, then small area games at USA Hockey. 
really started to push. And but yeah, those guys, those men and women are just so committed to doing what's right for the kids yeah. uh, from a hockey standpoint that it was I was always very impressed by them. Well, and I, I've seen that like just just but, you know, just thinking about like just a couple of weeks ago, walking to South Windsor Arena and seeing like just and that selflessness is there like a hockey kid, a little six year old is carrying their bag in the rink and they're dragging <laughs> it in. And, you know, when you're a soccer player. You have a pair of shin guards and maybe you wear your flip flops to the field and you throw your cleats on. Like so all right. of this, you know, taping your stick and, and learning how to buckle your helmet and knowing, you know, how the equipment goes on. And, you know, and, and a lot of our new parents. Uh, you know, that listen to the show, you know, depend and and really, you know, use us as kind of a a board of like, OK, well, what should I expect? So, you know, maybe what's one thing you could say, you know, for seeing the journey, you know, what yeah. should you expect your 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 five and six and seven year old to be able to do? And then where is that line of like, oh, you got to you got to be toughing up. If I see you, you know, I know coaches like if you don't carry your own bag in, you're not allowed to play hockey. But I'm like, right, okay, right. maybe I'm not a wheelie bag guy myself, but. You know, maybe a little, you know, where's the line between, hey, how do we keep these kids in the game as long as we can? And where is it where, listen, you're just not, you know, you're just not teaching your kids the values of, you know, what it is to be an athlete at that age. Yeah, it's a fine line as a parent. I always thought I walked it pretty well. I, I you know, I parented hard and I coached hard. Um, I had that look. One of the most important things a parent can have is has that look. This is, <laughs> it, it's a, this is not going to happen. Look, when we go to church. You're just not going to act up. That is not going to happen. You're not going to scream in the grocery store. That's just not going to happen. If we have to walk out. And, you know, I've told my son, I'll, I'll pick you up at one o'clock. And if it's 10 after one, I left one time. And it was hard, but I left. One time my kid threw his club on the golf course. We walked in. You know, I didn't do that stuff a lot. I just picked my spots. I had a lot of patience because let's face it, they're young. It's difficult. Their brains are growing. They're underdeveloped. They're trying to problem solve. It's difficult for anybody, even through 14 years old. Um, we tend to get, you know, really impatient with, at that age when that's the, the most difficult age, especially for young boys. You know, it's really difficult for young boys. And um, and so, yeah, it was that fine line of coaching. Luckily, my youngest son, Jack, liked to be coached hard. He liked an organized coach who screamed and had things in order. Jack liked order. He could deal with the yelling. That's fine. Uh, but again, some kids maybe can't deal with the yelling. They have different sensory situations. And as a coach and teacher and parent, you have to understand how you parent differently and coach differently. Um, it isn't just one way. And that's the way coaching has really evolved well at the professional level. And I hope at the youth level, um, again, I'm not around it as much anymore, but it, it, it is, it's not one size fits all. And you have to kind of pick your spots and you have to kind of look at the parents, how the parents raise that kid. Maybe I have to go the other way. Some parents are soft and maybe not even connected with their kid. Some are too overbearing. So then you really got to pump that kid's tires and tell them how great he is. So you do have to observe that the parents, I think from going to a hockey coaching level and just really observe the parents and try to get to be a quick study on what kind of parents are they? How are they parenting? And then try to slowly guide your coaching towards that to get the most out of them. And ultimately, like, you know, your question about what to expect. Like, I, I always try to tell parents, like, if your kid makes the high school hockey team, what? that's a gigantic accomplishment when they're 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I mean, you know, my son's high school had about 1,200 kids, and there was only 15 spots on the hockey team. You know, that's an amazing – those are tough odds to get to. So it's not it's not the NHL, of course. It's not even a college scholarship. It's uh, – it's try to make your high school team and and to make it fun, make it demanding, give them structure, 
Um, cause you know, kids want structure, they need structure. Mm-hmm. And that, again, that's what a hockey practice can do because it's fast paced because it's one hour because the time is valuable because it's difficult to get there. It's difficult, but yeah, you know, Jack luckily was tying his skates his first year of squirt. He wanted to do it. Um, but yeah, you, you want the kids to carry their bags as much as possible. And if they have to pull it cause they're little, I mean, Jack was 50 pounds when he was a squirt, you know, 40 <laughs> pounds. He, he's not going to carry that bag. It's going to be hard to carry the bag. He still did it a lot of the times. So there has to be some mercy, some some affection, as I talked about, while you balance that with structure and demand and push, because that's how we get better. Most of us get better when we're pushed. And um, and you do have to push a little bit. Some push themselves a lot. And so that's why you maybe be more cheerleader. Others don't push themselves and you push them and push them. And like I said, some kids are ultra sensitive. Some kids are they can take it. So, again, it's reading the room. And, and that does take some of that's natural in, the, in a human being and as a parent and a coach. And others have to maybe work on it a little bit. Yeah, awesome. Right. I always love to roll too. Jersey on a hanger. You carry that jersey. Yes. Show respect. <laughs> so many kids just shove them in the bag. But uh, we always follow the John Butchagross rule. <laughs> that goes on the hanger. Show your jersey respect. Are you concerned at what we're seeing with parenting now and the push towards specialization and the push toward, you know, making your kid faster, better, stronger, sooner. Uh, a lot of kids are even dropping out of youth sports. I think a study just came out showing that there's a decline in youth sports just because of the amount of pressure that they're feeling to perfect mm. everything. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, the kids are definitely more isolated now because of the phone, which is real such a tragedy. It's so sad. Um, they have options to quit and just to kind of live with their phone in their room. And that's enough for them. And that's how most people meet other people. It's how most people date. That's how most people get married. I mean, this generation, most of them will end up marrying someone they met online or somehow were connected. And uh, now in some ways that's okay because you can vet people that way. You can kind of maybe, which is ultimately, you know, the goal, I guess, as opposed to going out and, and, in college or at a bar like we kind of did or at school or at classes or something like that or in the professional world, which is probably the best place to do it because then you can really observe people, you know, and how they work. What's their work ethic, how they respond to pressure. So that's probably the best way to meet somebody is probably at work. And, and so you can really see how they react. And plus, they're, you know, they're young adults, too, as opposed to just kids. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's weird. I think parent, like you said, parenting seems to either be overbearing or disconnected. There doesn't seem to be much in between anymore. And you know, the specialization you talked about, USA Hockey for years has pushed all around athletes. We want athletes play multiple sports, play change of motions sports like soccer and hockey and basketball. You're changing and pivoting and turning and tumbling. And uh, they know that's the best. But, you know, some of it is economic. You know, the cost of tuition and is, is so outrageous and so counterproductive, I think that has permeated the, the mind of a lot of middle class parents and who feel like, I, how can I afford $60,000 a year to send my kid to a good school because they want their kid to go to a certain school because they feel like they don't want them to fall behind. Even though we know now, if you just go and get a degree at any place, it's, it's, it's the education you teach yourself and the drive and the motivation you have after that really is the difference maker. There's a few places that can obviously, like a Wharton Business School at Penn, that is going to put you in a great position right away to make money and be connected. But those are so few and far between. Most of us, you can go to a state school, you can live at home for two years, and then you can go to go, go to on campus for two years, and you will not have that big debt that we see that we read about and talk about. There's ways around that, you know, to go. Go to an in-state school, live at home for a couple of years. It might cost you ten grand a year. Like it's it's really affordable. You can really do it if if you have to. And um, and so yeah, it, it is overbearing and for some it's some disconnected and 
And that's why, again, and uh, and that starts right away. This again, that starts at a young age. If a kid is already kind of soft and coddled, you're not going to change that at 12 and 13. It's going to be hard for a coach then to to figure that out. But in the end, we we just have to realize that we're not raising professional athletes. We're at the most we're raising high school athletes. Someone and I and I always mention that I I want I wanted my kids to play hockey because they're around a lot of peers, a lot of friends, mm-hmm. and it was a, such great exercise. You know, practice two days a week, play two times a week. They're going to build lower body strength and they're going to use their heart and lungs and they're going to create these athletic habits where hopefully they realize, oh, eating well is important. I can be a little better if I eat well and I can train well in the summer and I have a goal and I have an aspiration. So those are the things that I always focused on um, more than, you know, wins and, and goals and championships was all that ancillary stuff that athletics can teach you in terms of diet, fitness, quality of life. You know, John, one of the right. things you're bringing up that is is something we talk a lot about with coaches is redefining what winning is, right? There's always the black and white scoreboard terminology with it, but winning is everything you just said. Hey, let's become better citizens. Let's learn to eat better. Let's work out. Let's become a team. Let's learn how to work together. You know, I'm a big subscriber to the It Takes a Village to raise someone with the teams that I coach. And I try and, I try and ex- explain that to the parents. And mm-hmm. most of them here before the season, I'm like, look, we got to help each other here. It's not one and done for anyone here. And, um, you know, I think that that's a really important part of the game. But I always say redefine what winning is. It doesn't have to be on the scoreboard. Um, <clears throat> you know, in prep for this episode, I was reading one of your older articles from 2017. That's where we're getting the uh, energy, creativity, selfness, and affection. It was a beautiful article. But something that really hit me um, that I want to share with the audience, and my kids are 10 and 7. Um, and I know, Chris, Christy, you have shared this kind of thought with me, too. Um, but you wrote, if you give your kids everything you have inside you, they will eventually give it back. And there are days that I absolutely need to hear that. <laughs> if you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I've so, said that to you a few times. <laughs> many times. Yeah. That, that's why I wanted to make sure I shouted out Christy too. Um, maybe you both could could just quickly dive into that because I think sometimes when maybe you're running late and they don't want to pack their bag and they're dragging their bag and they're not, you know, you know, y- you can get to this point of this isn't worth it. And everything shows that it is absolutely worth it. Could you right. dive into that for a minute? Yeah, it was always worth it for me. Yeah, there are moments where he's getting dressed in the car because we're a little bit late driving right. to that prep, prep school in the middle of nowhere in Connecticut. And uh, that, especially that first kid where we're really, we probably do probably over-parrot a hair on the first kid. And then by the time we have our third or fourth, they're juggling knives in their high chairs. And it's like, yeah, whatever, he's fine. You know, it's that, that's really the great. So I, I would say... The first parent, parent, the first kid, parents, you know, really try to calm them down a lot um, and to say, hey, this is, you know, you can step back a bit. I got this. Um, less is more with Jimmy or with Sally. She, uh, She's going to feel your pressure. She's going to feel your stress and then she's going to get stressed. But, you know, yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's, you know, winning is important there is a scoreboard and there's nothing wrong with wrong with trying to win that game and that is a skill set in life it's why athletes do very well in the business world and do very well in the stock market and wall street and you know commercial real estate and things like that because it's competitive and you have to grind out you have to battle and that's part of winning that's what the winning can reflect the battle the final score can reflect the battle and the and the smarts and the self-awareness and the sacrifice of block at a shot. Um, it's although that's why winning does matter. It's still, there is a scoreboard and it is a good way to test us and and to kind of show us where we can improve and how we can 
Because in the end, you just got to get the job done. Like going back before, like this is just not going to happen. You're not going to act that way. And, and just like when you go to, in, when you're competing, it's like we have to get this done. There is some of that. And we're going to try to win this game. But again, like I said, my I helped coach Jack when he was at Bantam, his last year at Bantam. And the coach I worked with, the two of us, we did not have a power play unit. We did not have a, a PK unit. Who's ever up, the blind is next. Everyone played the exact same. Maybe if we're down one late and we pull the goalie, we might shorten the bench a hair. But very rarely. And, and the kids know that and they were appreciated that. And I think it gave them a sense of empowerment. No, Because nothing worse than a kid who gets short ice when they're 10, which happened to my first son. And what that does to their self-esteem and they know it, they know what's going on. And that's right. very, that, that can be dangerous again for a developing kid with a mind that's at different levels of development has different levels of sensitivity and, and sensory, you know, uh, as well. So got to be really, really careful there. That's when winning that that's the balance we talked about, right. Is right. everybody should play, especially when they're writing checks to play, everybody should play. When you get to high school, it's a little different. We get that. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a little more hierarchy and, and some of the kids are ultra competitive and some are not as competitive. And so that's, again, and that's gonna, a lot of times in the real world, that's what right. determines the that's successful learning. Well, yeah. And, and, the, and the, funniest, the funniest thing is the kids at that age know too, they know, like they don't want yeah. to see their teammate getting sat. It's just like, like, like we're all this together. Like you keep, you keep preaching that, you know, we're a team and we have to work hard and we're at practice. I'm showing up for practice just like you are. Now, again, yep. there's there's certain kids that they haven't been at practice in four weeks. You know, maybe they shouldn't be on the ice for the last minute of play. But, right. you know, these kids are working hard. I, I see that in high school all the time. Like I, like especially depending on what high school you're at. But if you're in a local public high school, anyway, right. you need to play. You're there every day. You've got to find a way to get that kid on the ice and get them being some part of that team because – why would you go to practice every day? Like, what is the motivation? Like, because they want to be in front of their friends. And and absolutely. And I'll tell you right now, knowing from different players at different at the highest levels on their high school team, they want that kid to play. Like, they yeah. want that fourth line kid on the ice. They want to be on the ice with that kid because that's because that joy is seen in the classroom. It's seen in morning meeting. It's seen after school at a different sporting event. Like, I think we lose sight of you know, a lot of that because we, as like a lot of us as coaches only see the kids for, you know, two hours out of the day. Right. They're spending all that other time with all those kids and those families. And again, there is a time and a place for, for cutthroat winning. I get it. But, <laughs> but there's, but there's also, and you've seen it, you know, doing the college hockey uh, broadcasts and, and doing all that with these, the, the, the guys are going to be playing pro hockey. Mm -hmm. they, you know, not every, not every guy on North Dakota is playing pro hockey. Right. So right. you see how those guys react to each other and the joy on the benches. And that comes from, you know, great coaches and great people uh, being there, supporting each other every day in practice. So we don't get to see we only see the, you know, the 60 minute game. But I yeah, think it's, so, you know. yeah, it was strange. I'd go to a high school game and see some of these kids who would get dressed, put their buckets on and they sit in the bench. They don't play at all. Mm, yeah. I was like. That's I, that's so strange. They, they can they can take a shift or two a period. They're, they're you know they these kids can play a little bit. You, you can protect them a little bit, but yeah, you gotta reinforce like because like you said, because I remember you know I wrote a book with Keith Jones and he talked about you know how Eric Lindros he would just when you have that power as a superstar and you keep looking at the coach and, you, and yeah there you go Jones, he, he talked about how Lind, <laughs> Lindros would just look at the coach and when they give when the superstar gives the coach that look that means I'm going on the ice now but what happened was he he, he took ice time away from the fourth line 
and then they don't feel like they're part of the team. And then the team is less than it could be because you don't have the full you know, arsenal of personality and effort going towards one common goal. And that's why, again, an another negative of a short bench is that is that the rest of the team does. And like you said, there's some other kids who know who want those kids to play. And they feel a little bit, oh, man, this is as good as it could be. You know, everyone wants to. That's the great part about sports is the cause is the goal and getting galvanized as a group and going together. That's that's what every professional athlete misses when they retire is that all for one, one for all group. And especially nowadays, kids need it even more. Like I said, the more isolated, not just kids, but everybody is more isolated than they've ever been. And um, because it's easy, life has gotten easier and the phone has made it easier. And so as a result, people are getting isolated. So that's where sports still holds its magic. It's why it's still popular. It's why it's probably growing in popularity. Football is the most popular TV show on television now, by far, more than any other TV show that's on TV is our football games. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the sports world is, does pretty well, too. So, John, I know we only have minutes left. Two things. One, I want to plug the book, Jonesy. This is one of the greatest, <laughs> but also one of the funniest books I have ever read in hockey in a positive way. I know there's none book. left. There, there's no I, more I left. Know. So, I've, so I've got the one. one. It's valuable. <laughs> it's signed uh -huh. by him, too. I got it signed yeah. by and, him, too. Right. And we got to talk about Barry, too, before we let yes. you go. Barry Melrose, please. Um, yeah, I know yeah, you're doing just, a lot for him. Yeah, so sad. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's a yes. couple of years ago and he kept working and then this you know had a, he had to finally retire after last season because it's just you know tv is difficult as it is and it's you really need to be able to recall information quickly and and uh, i was so sad just for someone who was so witty and so much fun and so quick-witted uh and so good at tv for him to of all things to get this dreaded disease uh really in his mid to late 60s still a young guy could have worked for another eight ten years um, it's it's really heartbreaking. And um, so, yeah, so we're just, you know, it, it made some T-shirts up and uh, try to raise some money for Parkinson's, the Michael J. Fox Foundation, which Michael J. Fox, also Canadian, he got his at a very young age, of course. Mm. His diagnosis came in his 30s. And um, but, yeah, I was able to when Barry called me with uh, with the news and um, I called another fellow right away. I actually had played in a charity golf event which Michael J. Fox was in the group. Uh, it was actually a, a, for this broadcasting foundation that helps out broadcasters who are struggling. And it's, it's a, a net and Michael J. Fox was um, just part of that tournament. And he, it was really inspirational just to watch him, you know, as the day went on, he got more tired, obviously the Parkinson, you could see the effects of it more and more as the day went along, but man, you talk about grit and determination. He kept, kept playing, kept playing. This was just outside of New York city. And, uh, at Sleepy Hollow Golf Course, and it was just something. So I was able, like another guy in that group who I played with, the TV guy, Ray Cole, um, I, as soon as Barry called me, I got off the phone and I talked to Ray. He goes, is there any way we can get Michael? Because I knew he had a connection with Michael. Uh, that's how he, because he played with us. And because uh, Ray was a TV, ABC TV executive. And of course, Michael's sitcom, Family Ties, was on ABC. So there was an ABC relationship. And sure enough, he was able to go Michael's people. And the next day, Michael J. Fox called Barry and talked to him. I was like, geez, how blessed am I that, you know, the biggest TV star of the 80s when I was a kid, you know, I'm a little younger than Michael J. Fox. We're about the same age. So when he was a superstar, 23-year-old, I was a struggling 23-year-old. Um, <laughs> I, I was able to call someone and get him to talk to my friend who needed it. It was like, man, wow, how blessed am I to be in this business of sports and television that I could actually, with one phone call, get that guy to talk to my friend who really needed, you know, obviously at that point, guidance and what can I expect and ask him any question he wanted to ask. So, mm. yeah, it, it, it's still difficult. Right. You mentioned the T-shirts. How do we get one? 
Yeah, I, uh, you know, it was a pre-order. I think they're going to go out pretty soon. And funny, at the top of my head right now, it's either assistberry or barryassist.com. But I'm also, <laughs> we can find it. I'm, we'll get yeah, it out there yeah. for everybody. I'm also going to we'll order some. I also ordered some for myself to put on my website to make it easier. To, uh, okay. I know people sometimes. Yeah, so that, that'll also be appearing soon. But yeah, they're probably not hard. And I, and I think I actually linked it. On my uh, Twitter, I think it's uh, right. assistmelrose.com. I'm looking at it because I'm 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 we are, we are going to put that on our Excellent. list. But it's it, it, but... it's such a cool logo. Um, you know, it's funny. You know, you're an icon when someone can make a sketch of you, not use your eyes, nose, mouth, or just ear, the hair, and you know it's <laughs> him. Mullet, right? yeah. Like that's an icon. I mean, you put me up there, I would look like any <laughs> any car salesman. You know, like but Barry. <laughs> That's Barry without using facial features. So John, that's let, me, let me tell you this in closing is that's a perfect segue. <laughs> um, you might not know how far your, your career has reached and we've had other broadcasters on this show too. And I want to, I want to pay you a compliment again in closing. Um, when I was a teenager, you were voicing the national games that I was dreaming about. Um, and then I started my career as an ACHA player and then an ACHA coach. And you have been a, a massive supporter of the ACHA college hockey and I can tell you now, looking back, that that league is also on the map because of your support. But and here I am on a on a show with you today, <laughs> and I want you to know that you are a massive uh, motivation for me, a mentor for me, even though we've never met. Um, and that th th it really is an honor to be here with you today. But my life is the game of hockey, and you played a major role in that. And I want you to know that, and thank you for that. Right. And I have to thank you, too, true. because I reached out to you when I first wrote the Puck Hog series yes. and asked you if you would give it a review. And you gave it the most beautiful review. <laughs> and um, it helped elevate the status of that book. And you didn't even hesitate. You just thank mm -hmm. you. You didn't even know me. <laughs> I was just some kid from Syracuse. Like, who's this pest? And yeah, right well. away, you read the book and you gave me the, the most beautiful beautiful review thank you for that oh, you bet. I appreciate, appreciate you i have nothing nice to say my my son <laughs> my, my son walks in with his college hockey uh, hat and my, and his english teachers cringe so you know <laughs> so but but the overtime challenge stuff has been great it's brought so much attention uh -huh. to the sport i think a lot of people wouldn't even know something like they, they people get into it you see i'm sure you see hundreds of thousands of people chiming in that you would go man this person's a hockey like fan or i can't believe <laughs> like they're really into this game so it's really cool Right. I was so lucky. I was just, you know, right place at the right time. You know, I was 30 years old when the internet really kind of took off. And so, and then corporations got involved with television networks like Walt Disney bought ESPN. And so I was just the right age at the right time to kind of go through that ascension of television, the entertainment when sports became part of entertainment. Now it's obviously a challenging time with people cutting the cord and social media. But like you said, social media opens up a whole other avenue of communication. And I was able to create this Bucci Overtime Challenge just out of a fun whim. We it's a game we used to play on NHL tonight and then college hockey. It was just kind of I, once I was named voice of the Frozen Four in 2013, I just wanted to give the sport, wave the pom-poms and give I didn't felt the sport was getting the proper respect, especially mm -hmm. some of the players. And then same with the uh, the club hockey. There's, you know, there's very there's not a lot of opportunities for to play D1 or, or D3 hockey. And so these kids are are certainly lo they love the sport. They're competitive and, and they probably I probably I probably relate to them more than obviously the big D1 athlete. You know, I was a kid who went to a D3 school and then played intramural sports.
play little, you know, a little, a little varsity sports. But to me, just that competition at that age was important. And it was uh, part of my life. It'll always be a part of my life. I met my friends that way. I met peers that way, people I wanted to be around to make me better. And, and so everything I do at work is a reflection of who I was at that age and those kids and, uh, and really who I am now. And so it's, uh, and who I keep trying to be. So it's, a uh, it's a, it's a, it's a fun process. I love life. It's wonderful. There are so many amazing blessings. I'm grateful every day. And, um, and hockey is, like I said, it's been such a jewel to me, such a huge part of my life. It's been there since I was a little kid with my dad and it's been in my career the whole time. You know, my first job was on Cape Cod and my first boss was Martha Cusick. She was the daughter of Fred Cusick, a Hall of Fame Boston Bruin broadcaster. So oh. I, just, I always had a hockey connection from there and on to Providence, Rhode Island. I saw my first Frozen Four, started covering college hockey, Brown and PC and the women and the men. And, and then, of course, go to ESPN and get named host of NHL tonight. And then that just has, the hockey has taken with me, uh, you know, just all over the world and now and has just enriched my life so many ways with relationships. Well, you may not have the mullet, but you are an icon. <laughs> I used to. I right? used to. Yeah. I just want to, again, thank you for giving us some time today. But really, John, thank you for all you've done for the game and will continue to do for the game. Again, the overtime challenge, over a quarter million dollars raised on that one. That It's fantastic, man. And I, I appreciate you using our new medium of podcasting and being here today. Yeah, it looks great. This is awesome. And like I said, if there's any parents out there who have other, you know, direct questions, they, you know, my email address is very simple at ESPN. It's john.butchergrass at ESPN.com. Most of us, you can reach at ESPN just by put a dot between our first and last name. <laughs> Some people have an initial, but most of us, 90%, yeah. just put a dot between their first and last name at ESPN.com, and I'll be happy to certainly converse with any And he does. I can, say, I can say that. Yeah, my it works for you. It works. <laughs> he actually responds to you. It's fantastic. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, John. All right, that, that's going to do it for this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey, powered by NHL Censoring. As you can imagine, the busy life of a broadcaster, John, has to get on a flight right now. So, again, we think, we appreciate the time. And, again, you can uh, see or listen to all of our episodes at OurKidsPlayHockey.com. But for John Buchagras, Mike Benelli, and Christy Cashiano-Burns, I'm Lee Elias. We'll see you on the next episode of Our Kids Play Hockey. Skate on, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. Make sure to like and subscribe right now if you found value wherever you're listening, whether it's a podcast network, a social media network, or our website, ourkidsplayhockey.com. Also, make sure to check out our children's book, When Hockey Stops, at whenhockeystops.com. It's a book that helps children deal with adversity in the game and in life. We're very proud of it. But thanks so much for listening to this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey, and we'll see you on the next episode.